If you have your Bibles, I want you to meet me in Revelation chapter 17. This is where God's going to be speaking to us today. I just want you to know already I am deeply encouraged uh, in my faith. Uh, just having sat here, seen some of the announcements and uh, new buildings are happening and you guys are expanding literally the, the, um, your reach and trying to get a hold of the, the next generation and prioritizing them. And then uh, right here at our Plano campus, seeing missionaries who are going to be sent out praying over over them. Um, it's absolutely amazing. And I just want to encourage everyone. I think every follower of Jesus Christ uh, should hop on a plane, get on a bus, go somewhere outside of America and, and be used of God to see what's going on in the world and to get the good news of Jesus Christ absolutely out there. And here's why, here's why. It's not just about what God wants to do through you to someone else. It's also about what God wants to do in you while you are taking that step of faith. I mean, right now, even as I say this, my, my youngest son is on a gap year right now. He's in Central Asia, Kyrgyzstan to be uh, exact, and uh, he is giving his life away to the poor. Uh, he is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's making disciples from there. He's going to go to Thailand and help uh, young people who are being sex trafficked. And he's going to be used of God to rescue and deliver them and to share the gospel. And, and from there, he's going to go to Zimbabwe. I'm not going to see that joker till May. Um, and already, I, we're on WhatsApp all the time. And you could just sense God's doing something in him as he is taking a step of faith. And again, I just want to encourage you. I think every single follower of Jesus Christ needs to get outside of this bubble known as America and realize God is on the move. And it's not just in America, it's across the world. So hopefully uh, that's something you will consider. Um, I've been keeping up with your little football team and Y'all on a little win streak. Congratulations. Y'all beat a couple high school teams here lately. Holla at me after Thursday when y'all play the, the Eagles. Anyways, I'm distracted already. Let's get to the word. Let's get to the word. Revelation chapter 17, we've been, if you're new with us, we've been hanging out in the book of Revelation and uh, we've just been having a good time just walking through this book and here is John, he's exiled on the island of Patmos and he gets a revelation and this is what he sees. Pick me up in verse one of Revelation chapter 17. John writes, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of those whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth, that's us, have become drunk. And he carried me away, verse 3, in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed, notice, in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Verse 5, pay attention, it's the key. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Here it is, Babylon the Great, 
mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Help me, Lord. Father, would you speak to us? I pray, Lord God, we need to hear a word from you. You have heard from us as we have sung your praises, as we have worshiped, declaring our love for you. But Father God, we dare not leave your presence having just spoken to you and not having heard and received from you. So Father, would you deposit a word into our hearts? Make it clear, plain, practical. Uh, Lord God, I pray that you'd put shoe leather on your word that we would know the way in which you have called us to walk. To that end, Lord God, that that we we wouldn't just be committed to having church, but that we would be the church. In all of the spheres of influence, you have positioned us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, I grew up in an old school house. Old school. Mama... Mama didn't play a whole lot of games. Um, in fact, every time me and my siblings, I'm the oldest of four, we would, we would hop in the car with Mama and Mama would take us to the store. Mama didn't play no games. I, I can see her face now. Right before we walked through those glass doors into the store, Mama would preach a little sermon to us. Anybody's mama, before y'all even walked into the store, she clarified what this next season of your life was going to be about. She got pretty stern. She wasn't mean, she was just stern. She'd bite her lip and flare her nostrils and be like, now we going up into this store. And let me tell you what you're not going to do. You're not finna ask me to buy anything for you. You're not fitting to touch a single thing. You're not going to touch nothing. You ain't going to ask me how long we're going to be in this store. You're going to stay right here on my hip because if I have to come looking for you, it's a problem. I ain't going to tell you that she had a switch in her purse at the same time. Wasn't child abuse. That was just a different, different era. Mom was clear. I want you in the store, but I don't want you of the store. And if I was going to complete the mission of being in the store, where I would spend the next, I don't know, 17 hours of my life. (laughs) If I was going to complete the mission, watch it, I had to stick close to mama in the store with all of these distractions. All of the temptation, if I was going to fulfill the mission that my mama had called me to, I had to follow mama closely. Because if I wandered off, it was going to be a problem. In the same way, God has called you and I to be in the store of this world. But while we are in the world, we are called to not be of the world. 
Our whole text, our, our whole time of study today hinges on that one phrase that we see in Revelation chapter 17, verse 5, when John, in talking about this woman, he describes her as being the great prostitute. He says, watch it now, that she has written on her head these words, Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great. Now, don't lose me. I promise you, I'm coming to your neighborhood. We're going to make it plain and practical. I'm going to come into your house. I'm going to sit in your living room, put my feet up on your coffee table. We are going to get up in your business today. But before I get there, we have to rightly understand the word of God. He says, this woman, this great prostitute, that's what he calls her, has written on her forehead the words, Babylon the Great. Don't miss this. In the Bible, when you see the word Babylon... It is not so much used literally as it is figuratively. There are times in the Bible where we see the word Babylon and it speaks of a literal, physical, geographical place. So if you read the book of Daniel, the opening chapters of Daniel, Daniel uh, is exiled, him and his buddies, in a place called Babylon. So there are times when it is a literal geographical place, but more times than not, when we see Babylon, don't lose me now, it is a, a symbolic, figurative place, watch it now, that speaks of, don't miss it, the world. And when we talk about the world in the Bible, here it is, the word world in the Bible speaks of a system that is opposed to the will of God. You with me? When the Bible talks about the world, it is speaking of a system that is opposed to the will of God. That's why John would say, 1 John chapter 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. He's not calling us to not care for our environment. He's not saying you, don't, you shouldn't recycle or you shouldn't consider having an electric car or stewarding the environment. He's not saying that. Instead, he's saying, I don't want you falling in love with a system that don't love you, with a system that doesn't love your God. Now, Paul would say it this way, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, he, he says do not be conformed to this world. I, I love it. One translation says, do not allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. The world has an agenda for your life. The world has an agenda for the life of your kids. The world has an agenda for every believer. Well, what is that agenda? Again, verse 6, and I saw the woman who epitomizes the world, the system that is opposed to the will of God. Watch it now. Drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. The world has an agenda. She wants to take you out. She wants to kill you. Now, here's the deceptive nature of the world. The deceptive nature of the world is seen in verse 4. The woman, again, who epitomizes the world, was, erased, uh, was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. In other words, she looks good. She's attractive. She's alluring. But don't let the looks fool you. Why? Because even though outwardly she looks good, inwardly she is evil. It says, holding in her hand a golden cup full of, 
Make note of this word, abominations. In the original language, Greek, abomination simply means evil. And the impurities of her sexual immorality. In other words, she looks good on the outside. That's all sin. If sin didn't look good, if it wasn't appealing, if it wasn't appetizing, we would not do it. But as cute as this girl is, let me quote my favorite theologian. Rick James says, this ain't the kind of girl you take home to mama. You with me on that? She looks great on the outside, but inside she's full of filth. See, part of the problem with sin, have you ever been in a store and um, you saw this bomb shirt, this, this sweater that looked amazing, and you looked for the price tag and you didn't see the price tag? That's normally a little clue. This thing, as good as it looks, is going to break your bank account. That's sin. Sin never shows the price tag. There's, there's a cost to being with the world. So that, watch it now, as good as the world looks, there is an agenda to take you out. I, I, I know of a man, he's a, he, he's a driver for a car service uh, in Las Vegas. And uh, he was telling the story uh, of, of how he picked up an older gentleman, I think it was early on a Friday morning, and this older gentleman um, lands in Las Vegas, gets into this driver's car, car and he's excited, and he's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Early in the morning, he's just landed in Vegas, and, and he starts talking. He's a, he's, a, he's a loquacious older man, and he just starts going on and on and on about, man, I'm so excited to be here, and, and yesterday was my last day at work, and I've just retired from work, and I've come to Vegas by myself just to have a good time and I'm celebrating. I'm retired. No more work. He is so excited. And, and, and there's this connection between this older gentleman and the driver. And so they decide that the driver was going to pick him up on that Monday to take him back. And so he drops this older gentleman off at the, at the hotel slash casino there. And they make arrangements for him to pick him back up. And that Monday, the driver picks him back up and he ain't loquacious. He ain't talking. This older gentleman is sad. Somber, silent. Finally, right, right as they, they don't get to the airport, the driver says to him, is everything okay? He says, uh, true story. I'm trying to figure out how to tell my wife I gambled away all of our retirement savings. True story. True story. I heard a woman right over here say, I wish he would. <laughs> Now watch it, before we judge, you need to know Vegas is intentionally set up to do that to people. The hotels are cheap, so they tell me. Aram. They pump special air into the casinos to keep you up at God-forsaken hours of the night. God bless you if you try to find a clock in a casino. <laughs> Ain't no clocks. They don't want you to know what time of day it is. Exits are hard to find. 
Food is all around you. You ain't got to get up to go anywhere. And y'all acting like I've been the only one who's been to Vegas. <laughs> Person back there. T tell them about the exits, Pastor. Tell them about the exits. Free drinks. Now watch it. Vegas ain't trying to bless you. Vegas wants you to lose perspective. They want you to lose sight of where your real home is. They want you to lose focus and just concentrate on Vegas because they understand if they can get your attention, if they can get your energy, if they can get your affections, then the basic rule of Vegas is the house always wins. The whole system is strategically set up to destroy you. That's the world. That's Babylon. Now, I don't want you to live in fear because the text says fallen, fallen is Babylon. She will be destroyed. But in the meantime, in between time, there is an agenda to the world. She wants to destroy us. She wants to destroy our reputation. She wants to destroy our character. She wants to destroy our children. She wants to destroy our lives. Welcome to the world. Some of you, tomorrow, when you will go to your job, you will, you will work at a job in which it feels like you're the only one who is halfway trying to walk with Jesus. You're surrounded by people. And if you are, some of you work in jobs in which if you are really outspoken about your faith, you could lose your job. Welcome to Babylon. Some of us were concerned about our babies. Our babies, for some of us, go to schools where these schools have an agenda. It is to in intentionally indoctrinate our kids so that they live lives that are antithetical to the will, way, and word of God. That is Babylon. Others of you are college students and you, you feel this when you walk into the frat house. You feel this when you walk out onto the quad. We are surrounded by Babylon. Watch this. Our call is to be in it. He doesn't want us to avoid it, but not be of it. How do we do that? I want us to first of all see the strategy of the world, what she's trying to do to you. And number two, I want to end with three points of application for how we can faithfully represent Jesus in the midst of Babylon. Here we go. The first time Babylon is mentioned in the Bible, it's mentioned in Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, notice what the text says with me on the screen. It says this, these people get together. It's the famous story of, uh, of the Tower of Babel, and it says this, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, here's the key phrase, and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the, first of, over the face of the earth. First time in which Babylon is mentioned, it's Genesis chapter 11, and notice what they don't say. They don't say, let us make a name for God. They say, let us make a name for ourselves, and here's the subtle strategy of the world, of Babylon. The world doesn't come at you right away with a haymaker. It just sets you up, and the first set-up move is to get you, watch it now, to leave God out of your life. To organize your life in such a way in which God 
isn't really on the throne. It's the first thing she tries to do. So I, I grew up the son of a preacher, and my, and my father, from the time I was a little boy, he would always take me with me on preaching trips, and I would, I would go with him, and all across the country, it's one of my favorite things to do as a kid. I'd hop on a plane with my dad, and I'd sit there on the front row, and I remember being so small at times, my legs would dangle off the edge of the pew there, and I'm listening to my dad speak, and, 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 and here's what I noticed about my dad. No matter what his text was, no matter where he was, oftentimes mama wasn't even with us, he would always begin with about a five-minute tribute to mama. Mama wasn't even in the room. He'd be thousands of miles away from home, and he'd be talking about how fine mama is, how much he loves mama. He'd say stuff like, she's the beat of my heart, the apple of my eye, the jerry to my curl. He would go on and on and on about how much he loved mama. Sometimes it was too much information. He would, he would tell the story of how they first met. He talks about being in college and open up the, the door to the dormitory. And there at the top of the steps, he would say, the finest pair of brown legs I've ever seen in my life, five minutes before he even took the text. He had figured out a way how to bring mama with him to the speaking engagement. Years later, when I started preaching, I asked my father, why is it? that you are always talking about mama and mama is thousands of miles away. He says, oh, that's easy to keep me out of trouble. I need these women to know I'm not just married, I'm happily married. Even when I don't feel happily married, I need them to know I love my wife. That's the call of God on you. It is to live in such a way that the world knows that we're not Christians in name only. We're not followers of God in name only, but we love our God. We love our Jesus. No matter where we are, when we get opportunities, we talk about him. And when we include him, that's what helps us to keep on the straight and narrow. Well, watch this. That's why your biggest struggle in life, your biggest struggle in life is going to keep God in the center of your life on a day-by-day basis. Your biggest struggle in life is going to be the struggle to pray daily, to worship daily, to be in your word daily, because the enemy understands, the world understands, if I can just get you to leave God out for enough consecutive days, weeks, months, I now leave you vulnerable to the next attack. What's the next attack? Step number one with the world is leave God out. Step number two, once you leave God out, now you're vulnerable to what? Verse two, speaking of this woman with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, watch it now, what is she about? And with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Who are the dwellers of the earth? That's us. What is the agenda of the world? She wants us to leave God out. Why? So that we might be drunk with sin. Now, I know this ain't no shouting stuff. We didn't come here to hear about sin. We came here to to feel good. But you need to understand the world ain't nothing to be played with. She has an agenda for your life. She doesn't just want you to sin. She wants you to become drunk with sin. When a person is drunk, they are totally controlled and influenced by sin. The world wants us drunk, controlled, influenced by sin. Let let me just give you a couple of ways. I'm going to give you two ways in which I see the world doing this. Uh, One way in which I see the world wanting to get us drunk with sin is in the area of greed and possessions. Every single day, the world sends us messages 
that our identity is in what we have. We get it every time we open up on social media, there's ads. And man, social, social media, sometimes it's just of the devil. Is it just me? Or, or, or I could be talking to my wife about a certain pair of Air Jordans that I want, and all of a sudden, them bad boys pop up on my social media feed. They are literally listening to us. And they are custom making ways for us to constantly buy more, buy more, buy more, buy more. The message of the world is she wants us to have, 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 buy, 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 and find our sense of identity, not in Jesus purchasing us, but in us purchasing stuff. I know this ain't a popular message in North Dallas. I get it. I understand it. But you need to understand, you go down that path of possessions, you'll never be satisfied. Ain't enough money to ever satisfy you. Ain't enough purses to ever satisfy you. Let me stop meddling. <laughs> Secondly, she wants to get us drunk. Literally, the text says, on sexual immorality. Text was originally written called Greek, in a language called Greek. Greek word for sexual immorality is pornea. Pornea, pornea. Can you say that with me? Pornea. It's from that Greek word pornea that we get the English word pornography from. Pornea in the Bible simply means this. It's any kind of sex outside of a covenant marriage relationship between a man and a woman. The world wants us drunk on that. The world is constantly saying, have more, have more, have more, have more. And the message is, the more I get, the more satisfied I will get. But that is a lie from the pit of Satan. You will never be satisfied with anything outside of Jesus. There's a disease called Prader-Willi syndrome. Prader-Willi syndrome is a disease in which a person who has it, they eat, but they never get full. They, they're never satisfied. So they eat and eat and eat their way into obesity and into an early death. And my fear is there are a lot of people who name the name of Jesus Christ who have contracted spiritual praetor will I syndrome. Not understanding that the only thing that will ever satisfy us is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what do I do? Let me give you these three things, three points of application as we end. What am I to do in the world? How, Brian, do I live and operate in this place that wants to take me out? How do, I, how do I live and faithfully represent Jesus Christ in the world? I mean, Brian, I, I need help. Tomorrow I'm going to get some of your saying. I'm going to get on an airplane and I'm going to go to a business meeting. And here's how the business meetings work. We meet from, you know, 9 to 5, 9 to 6, whatever it is. And then we go out to the bar or whatever, how do I be in that place but not of that place? Help me, pastor. I'm really trying to represent Christ at school, but it is so hard. How do I be in it but not of it? Three things. Number one, you're just going to have to embrace the tension. Embrace the tension. Revelation chapter 18 verse 4 says this. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, that is, come out of Babylon, come out of the world, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Okay, so what are you saying, Brian? I got to take my kids out of public school? I got to put them in Christian school, private school, homeschool? Is that what you're saying? No, not so fast. Look at what Jesus says on the other extreme. 
John chapter 17, Jesus says this, praying for us, he says, I do not ask that you take them, that's Christians, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Here's the tension. God did not save you and then kill you. God saved you and let you live. Why? Not just so you can come to church. Church is just a huddle. In football, you don't pay money to watch the teams huddle for all 60 minutes where they talk about the play and sing songs about the play and exegete the play. No, you get in the huddle to get clarity so that you can put into action against an opposing team so that you can make a difference. God has called you to one community church so that you come here at 10 a.m., you get what you need so that you can faithfully represent him in the world and against forces that are daring you to live out what you have been placed and called to do. So I'm in it, not of it. It's sort of like a boat. Boats were created to be on the water. Boats weren't created to be parked in a driveway. They were created to be on the water. It is the call and the purpose of the boat to be on the water. But watch this. That boat will only fulfill its purpose to be on the water if the water doesn't get in the boat. You with me on this? So let me just tell you how this works for me. So, so, some years ago, um, our family, you know, my, my youngest was playing AAU sports, and we just kind of looked at that as our mission field. And there was another player who had two moms, lesbian couple. And, and, my, and my wife and I said, God's calling us to love them, not to save them. There's one savior, it ain't me. God's called us to love them, not change them. I can't change nobody. I can't even change myself. I'm just called to love them. And so here's what I picked up early on. They're not going to come to my church. So maybe my first move is for me to go to their turf. So we just start hanging out. We start eating good food together. We start enjoying one another's company. A relationship gets formed. Then they invite us to go over their house. They ask me to actually bless their home. I'm a pastor. So I said, okay, you need to know this is what this is. I'm going to bring my oil, and I'm going to slap some oil all over your house. So we get there, I bring my kids, because I want my kids to see this. Because Christians have a horrible reputation. We're real good at withdrawing from the world and screaming at the world. So I said to my kids, teenagers, no, no, I want you to come with me because I'm trying to teach you what it looks like to be in, not of. So we go to the house, and based on the eye test, we're the only heterosexual folk up in the room. And God bless that youngest son of mine. He can't whisper <laughs> to save his life. In front of all these people, he says, Dad, are you uncomfortable? <laughs> shut up, boy, shut up.
See, what I'm trying to help you to see is there are two extremes and neither one is the call. Some of you are so self-righteous and fear-based that you withdraw. You don't interact with folk. You don't know how to interact with folk who don't know Jesus. You don't know how to navigate folk. You don't know how to sit down and have a meal with folk. You, you just withdraw and, and, and then you act like you're more spiritual than other people. Well, show me that Jesus in the Bible. The Jesus I know in the Bible didn't just withdraw. He actually went into the party but was not of the party. So, so on one hand, there are those of you who withdraw. On the other hand, there are, there are some of y'all that y'all done gone too far. There's a tension. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. So I can walk into the frat house and still be different. Are you with me today? I can go on the business trip and I can maybe even go to the bar and I, I can be with them, but not of them. Are you with me? And so the call here is to embrace the tension. It is a daily tension that I'm, I'm, I'm with you, I'm around you, I, I, I can talk to you, I can hang with you, but you still leave going different in not of. Secondly, if I'm going to make a difference, I have to understand this world ain't my home. Look at verse 3. The text says, and he carried me away in the spirit, here it is, into a wilderness. I don't have time to get into all of this, but in the Bible, wilderness is simply a place of transition. It's a place you pass through. It's not a place you settle down. So for example, when the children of Israel, when they're leaving Egypt to go to the promised land, they pass through the wilderness. David, when he's anointed king, from the time he's anointed king to the time he sits on the throne, 15 years uh, go by. Much of those 15 years, he's in a place of transition called the wilderness. Jesus Christ, when he transitions from his private life to his public ministry, he spends 40 days in the wilderness. And the church of Jesus Christ, in this age, we are in the wilderness. We are in that period between the ascension of Christ, which has already happened, and which we are, re we are awaiting the return of Christ, that period in between, John calls the wilderness. Watch this. The wilderness ain't permanent, y'all. We're passing through. This world ain't our home. It's sort of like the airport terminal. My flight leaves this afternoon at four something. And when I get to the airport terminal, I've already got it mapped out. I'm going to stop and partake of the best thing, Dallas, Texas, has ever produced Papa Do's. It's right around gate C26. I already know what I'm gonna order. But watch this. The terminal is a place we pass through. While in that terminal, my mind is fixated on what gate is my flight? What time do we leave? What time do we board? And that determines everything I do in the terminal. 
as much as I love Papa Do's, y'all, if there's a choice between Papa Do's or my flight, I'm going with my flight. Why? Because the terminal ain't my home. My future dictates my actions in the terminal. Don't fall in love with this world because there's coming a time, should God tarry, that you will be very dead. Hebrews 9 says, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. I will die. My wife will sit on the front row and she'll shed a few tears until she thinks about that life insurance check coming her way. She has specific instructions what not to do with it. She knows not a dime of it goes on the next one. I promise you I will come up out this bad boy. There will be a resurrection of the dead. She knows. That money is cursed if you spend it on the next one. I've done a lot of funerals, y'all. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff. But I've never seen a U-Haul truck at a cemetery. The stuff that you just had to have, it ain't coming with you, and you're right, someone else is going to enjoy it. How do I make it in the world? I'm just passing through. This ain't my home. This is temporary. And when you understand that, why are you so scared to share your faith with folk who are going to die too? You're just passing through. Thirdly, finally, if I'm going to make it in this world, I got to embrace the tension. I'm in it, not of it. I'm in it, not of it. Secondly, this world ain't my home. But thirdly, you have to know your name. All right. What is your name? Verse 14. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. What is my name? And those with him. In other words, those with the lamb, here's your name, are called and chosen and faithful. In the Bible... Names are declarations of destiny. In, in the Bible, they didn't just name people willy-nilly like some of our play cousins do. I was watching the 49ers game the other day. They got a receiver. That brother's name is Debo. Y'all don't act like y'all, y'all act like y'all haven't seen Friday. You know what I'm talking about. I hope that ain't his government name, because really, you named your baby after the worst character in, I I digress, I digress. (laughs) But back in the name, back in the the Bible, names were declarations of destiny. And to this day, I think most of us understand this, which is why you've never seen a three-year-old girl named Jezebel. You've never seen a little boy named Judas. Why? Because we understand the power of names. They're declarations of destiny. When God changes your name, he is making a declaration of your new destiny. 
Abram, your name ain't Abram anymore. I know you're an old man who can't have kids, but I'm going to change that. I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means father of many peoples. Even before you have a kid, I'm going to change your name, and you're going to walk in that new destiny. Simon, I know your mama named you Simon. Jesus says, but I'm going to change your name to Peter because you are a rock. Even though he failed, you're a rock. And I'm going to build my church on you. Names. Our declaration of destiny. My my last name is Loritz. We can trace it all the way back to my great-great-grandfather, Peter. Peter was a slave. Peter loved Jesus. Peter was married to his wife for over 50 years. Peter had a son. His name was Milton Loritz. Peter loved Jesus. Peter was married to my great-grandmother for over 50 years. Milton had a son. His name was Crawford. Crawford loved Jesus. Crawford was married to my grandmother, Sylvia, for over 53 years. Crawford had a son. His name is Crawford Loritz Jr., my daddy, Crawford Lewis Jr., and my mama just celebrated 52 years of marriage. Hear me, hear me, hear me. We're out of here. We're out of here. Do you know every time in high school when I would ask my dad for the keys to the car, he would always do the same thing. I want to go out with this girl. I want to hang out with my friends. Dad, can I have the keys to the car? Sure, son. He'd toss me the keys, and he'd say, son, remember who you are. He wasn't asking me to remember my driver's license number. He wasn't asking me to remember my address. He wasn't asking me to remember my social security number. He was reminding me, son, your last name is Loritz. When you go out tonight, you're not just going by yourself. You're representing, you're taking with you legacy. When you leave this house, son, to go into the world, you, you, you have a name. There's a destiny attached to that. And every time, every single time, he would ask me, he would say to me, remember who you are. And then he would ask me, now what's your name? I would say, Loritz. We're getting ready to leave. We're getting ready to leave this house and go into the world. What is your name? Call chosen, faithful. As you step into the classroom tomorrow, what is your name? Called, chosen, faithful. As you go on the business trip and after party stuff is happening and folk are getting drunk, what is your name? Called, chosen, faithful. I want us to stand. I'm done. I I want us to stand. I want us to stand. For some of you, the world has named you. The world has named you whore. The world has named you liar. The world has named you gossip. But I want you to receive this today. That is not the name God's given you. And all of us in this room, we know what it's like to slip up and to fall and to fail. But as we leave here today, I want us to leave calling our new name. 
Bible says that this woman who symbolizes the world had a name written across her forehead, Babylon the Great. That's not your name. I want us to take our hands and I want us to put them on our foreheads. And in just a few seconds, I'm going to say to you, what is your name? And I want the response in unison to be, my name is called, chosen, faithful. Child of God, what is your name? My name is chosen, faithful. One more time, declare it. It's destiny. What is your name? Called, chosen, faithful. So, Father God, we pronounce this over ourselves today. As we leave this house to go into the world, we go, Lord God, secure in the declaration that we are called, chosen, faithful. Oh God, by your spirit, we can't do it on our own, but by your spirit, would you give us the power and ability to walk into what you have already declared us to be? chosen faithful to that end lord god that we would be in the world but not of the world in jesus name we pray amen